I'd like to send at this stage greetings to every person watching our telecast, especially to our friends on 3ABN, Danny and Linda Shelton, and our marvelous supporters right across Canada and this great land of the United States of America and down into the Caribbean. And especially I want to send greetings or give greetings to every person in our church today. We're going to continue today our series on the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. Today it's Genesis 10, Genesis 11, just following on from last week. Today we're going to talk about the origin of the nations. Many people are interested in their ancestry. Uh, there was a famous movie made a number of years ago called Roots that uh, explores the ancestry of a man who came out from Africa. We're going to answer this question, and this is an important question. Does my birth into a certain race determine my destiny? Does my birth into a certain race determine my destiny? If I'm born into the race of Ham, or if I'm born into the race of Japheth, or born into the race of Shem, does my birth into a certain race determine my destiny? We're going to talk today for a little while about the ancient tower of Babel. Has it been found? And were Abraham and Sarai real? Were they real people? Or were they simply characters out of an old myth? Can a person seriously believe the stories of Genesis? And most importantly, how do these events of the past, so long ago, so far away, guide me in a completely different, complex situation? What is the relevancy of these ancient stories to me as I drive down the 101 freeway here in the city of Los Angeles? Would you please all take your Bibles and those watching on television, I want to invite you to do the same as the audience today and to be a part of the audience here in our church at the Community Adventist Fellowship. And come with me firstly today to Genesis chapter 10 and verses 1 and onwards. And I'm so glad to see so many wonderful people here today. This chapter is called in the New International Version, as you can notice, The Table of Nations. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. And then, verse 3, the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togomar, the sons of Javan, Elisha, Tashish, the Kittim, and the Rodanim. From these the maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. You may not know much about those different nations or those different peoples, 
Uh, we'll talk a little bit about it today. But there's one thing that is apparent just from a very quick reading in this verse, and that is this. We all come from the same family. There was Mr. and Mrs. Noah, and they had Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and we all come from the same family, and this tells us that the human race goes back to a common origin. So whether you like it or not, I'm your relative. <laughs> and basically, we are all very, very similar. If you look inside, you'll find that we all have basically the same needs, the same emotions, the same aspirations. The concept of racism that is believed by so many people and practiced by so many is really very, very ignorant. You see, if you take a white man and open him up, if you take a black man and open him up, bless your heart, inside they're the same. And the blood in these veins is the same blood that is in your veins. Now there are different types of blood, but we all, different groups, we know this. But the blood of the human race is all the same. And basically, we are, my friends, the same people. Now verses 2 to 4 that we've just read mention certain tribes. It mentioned Gomer. Uh, we know with some authority that Gomer gave rise to the great ancient race that is called the Sumerians, who were a powerful Indo-European race. Javan, does anybody know what Javan was? Javan gave birth to the Greeks. And in Los Angeles, one must mention Tashish. You notice that Tashish is there? In ancient literature, in the language of the Bible, it talks about the ships of Tashish. Tashish was considered to be at the very, very ends of the earth. From Mesopotamia it was, and a Tashish ship was a mighty seagoing vessel. Tashish is the land of Spain. And so, I'm talking here in Los Angeles and many people will know that there is something that is happening inside them now and they will discover for the first time that they come from the land or the people of Tarshish. And so from uh, the tribe of Japheth, and he was the oldest brother, that's not always apparent, but he was the oldest brother, came the races that we call the Europeans. And according to the flesh, I am in that group. Now, I want you to notice a little bit further now. Uh, come down to verse, let me see now. Come down to verse, verse 6, I think, is what I'm looking for. Yes, verse 6, because here we have the sons of Ham. The Hamites, the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush. Seber, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, Saptiker, the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. And we could read more. 
Cush is Ethiopia. And um, Mizraim is Egypt. And Put is the African coast of Somaliland. I have the fondest memories of Cush. When I was at Avondale College studying theology, Beverly and I there got to know a person who was about six feet five. The most wonderful scholar and the most dignified, gracious Christian. His name was Truni Selassie. And he was a son of Cush. He came from Ethiopia. We talk about people being different colors. Well, he was as black as black could be. I know that when Truni and I would go for walks on occasions in the evenings, if it was a black evening, a dark evening, an overcast sky, you would lose sight of Truni altogether. On a black night, he disappeared, except for the whites of his eyes. I have in my mind today the warmest memories of this outstanding and beautiful Christian from the land of Ethiopia, the land of Cush. Let me tell you folks something. I've had the privilege of traveling the world on many different occasions. As I've traveled the world, I've met with many different peoples. I've had the privilege of going to China and the Philippines and Thailand and all across India and the places all in between to Tehran, the capital of Iran, and then across to Iraq, and I've walked the streets of Baghdad. I know it very well. I know most of the Middle Eastern countries, Iraq, of course, Israel, Mizraim, Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Turkey, all the European countries, Russia, Ukraine, England, Scotland, the United States of America, the islands of the sea. As I have visited these countries, there's one great truth that has come into my mind. God is not a racist. The devil is. <laughs> God is not a racist. And can I say something which is going to be controversial, but it's the truth. It is not politically correct but it is the truth. Racism resides in every heart that's outside the kingdom of God. Racism is not confined to white folks, though they have their share of rednecks and racists. But there are Hispanic racists, and there are black racists wherever the human heart 
is found in its unregenerate condition, there you have a breeding ground for racism. Because you see, if you open up a white man or a black man or an Hispanic man, you find that inside he's the same. And there's something that I have discovered that in all of these different nations with different cultures and different mentalities, God has got his children. Did you know this? God has got his children in every single race under heaven. And so never, never forget this. God is not a racist because he made all the different races. I want you to read on a little bit further with me, please. And it talks here about the coming of a very powerful character. Verse 8 in the Bible. Cush, who was a son of Ham, was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. The Septuagint says, a mighty hunter against the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before or against the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Ererech, Akkad, and Kelner in Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kalar and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kalar, that is the great city. So the Bible says that this man, Nimrod, who was a son of Ham, was the world's first great dictator. And the Bible says he was a mighty hunter against the Lord. And not only was he a mighty hunter, my friend, he was a mighty builder of cities. People say, is there evidence that these cities actually existed? Of course. The person who derides the historicity of the Bible is generally ignorant. Babylon. Nineveh, Kalar, I have been to virtually all of these cities. The old city of Kalar, which is only just 20 miles from Nineveh, still goes by its ancient name. Do you know the ancient name of Kalar? Nimrod. If you go and talk to the people there, they will say, this city was founded by the great tyrant Nimrod. The names of these cities are still retained today with the names of the principal characters who built them. I say to you, you can believe in the authenticity of the Bible story. You don't need to have any doubts about it, my friend. Look at Genesis 10 now. We're going to skip a little bit. Genesis 10 down to verse... Let me see, Genesis 10 down to verse, or we'll, no, we'll come to verse, now we'll come to verse 21, I think. I want you to notice this, because there's so much stuff here we could talk about. Verse 21, we're going to come to the Semites. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. You see, Japheth is the older brother. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber, the sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, do you know who Asher was? Where did Asher come from? Or who came from Asher? They are the Assyrians and the Babylonians. 
So now we're talking about the Semites. Afaxed, Lud, and Aram, the sons of Aram, Uz, Hulg, and all of these people. Verse 24, Afaxed was the father of Shelah, and Shelah the father of Eber. Now let me just tell you something of, of interest from the viewpoint of an archaeologist. A number of years ago, some archaeologists were digging up a Tel Madik, which is in the north of Syria, a large mound covering many acres. And there they discovered uh, the city of, you know the city? The city of Ebla. Ebla is a very ancient city. And it goes back to the days of the patriarchs. It goes back to the days of the pyramid builders. I was one of the first people from the West to explore the site. I was down in Amman. Cold day, got a flight up to Damascus, hired a trusty Volvo, and drove several hundred miles up through the Syrian desert, past the city of Homs. An exciting journey because as we went along, the driver told me he was a Christian. And he told me of the massacres that had taken place in Homs. 40,000 Christians murdered there. Never hear about it, do you? 40,000. And as the car sped on the way, as we could see the mountains covered in snow, the car was hailed down, we were stopped, and two young men heavily armed got in the back seat in plain clothes. And questioned the driver, drove with us for about an hour or two. And then stopped the car, got out. The driver said, thank God. I said, who are they? Secret police? Wanted to know who you were? I was by myself, traveling incognito. <laughs> what is happening here? He said, nobody moves in this country without the secret police. They wanted to know why you wanted to go to Eblar. I went there because they discovered there a huge city with 11,000 civil servants, a vast, useless bureaucracy, <laughs> with a huge taxation system, ruled over by a man whose name was Eber. And some archaeologists, including the great Giovanni Petonato from Italy, said, is there a connection between the Eber of the Bible, who was the ancestor of the Jews? Is there a connection between this Eber and the Jewish people who are hated by the Syrians? And there is a possibility that the Eber that we're reading here in the Bible is the Eber whose name was found by Giovanni Petonato on the clay tablets that were found in the mound of Tel Madik that covered Ebler. So I say to you, 
If you're searching for evidence, those of you who are watching on television and you, you've been told, you've been brainwashed that you can't believe the historicity of the Bible, I'm here to tell you these eyes have seen the historicity of the Bible. I don't say these things because I'm paid to say these things. I say these things because mine eyes have seen the historicity of these events. Now, I think we should come now to verse 22, and let me talk just a little bit about verse 22, dear hearts and gentle people. The sons of Shem, Elam, the Elamites came from them, Asher, the Assyrians, Arphaxad, and so forth. From the tribe of Shem came the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, the Assyrians, the Hebrews, and the Arabs. And that is why these people are called Semites, because they came from Shem. Now the following verses describe the other tribes of Shem, and we're going to give those a mess because a miss, because we don't know a great deal about them. Uh, Genesis chapter 10 will come to now, and verse 32. Genesis 10 and verse 32. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. Now, before we go any further in our Bible study today, I want to make some observations that I think are pertinent to the verses we've read. Number one, listen to this, my friend, whoever you are, whether you are a white man or a black man or a yellow man, or a brown man, listen to this. It's not what tribe you came from that counts. It's where you are going. Did you hear this? It's not where you came from that counts. It's where you are going. Your roots at least as far as your nationality is concerned, are not terribly important. As long as you know that you are a child of God and you're going to the kingdom of God. Amen. This is what counts. Now, I don't know a lot about my ancestry. I know a little bit. I haven't been game to check it out. You never know what you're going to find. I know just a little. I know that a lot of my folks came from England. And on my father's side, some of them came from Ireland. And I've been told that I've got enough English in me, enough English blood in these veins to keep me cool. Sometimes under pressure and enough Irish blood in me to get me into trouble. So, it is a strange mingling of English conservatism and Irishism which is always in trouble. Now Beverly has a better ancestry. Shall I tell them everything we know? Her ancestry, they come, her folks came from England, and then they were Scottish. In fact, one of her ancestors is, was related to the uh, President Buchanan, the President of the United States of America, and also she has some German blood in her. 
And also, she says, some Scandinavian blood in her. <laughs> but can I tell you folks something? It doesn't matter a lot, does it? Doesn't matter a lot. What matters, my friend, is that you know that you are a child of God. It's not where you came from that counts. It is where you are going and what you are doing now. Now, I want to give you a text on this. I want you to come over to Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16, please. Hebrews 11, and verse 13 to 16. And is everybody having a good time here today? And is everybody relaxed? Is everybody happy? Uh-huh. We're having a great time at the Community Adventist Fellowship that meets every Saturday morning, 10.30, and the address is, and the audience is going to say it. It's 333 East Colorado Street, Glendale, California. And when you come to California, join this great church. Come along and meet with us. Hebrews 11, verse 13 to 16. Got this passage, dear hearts? Amen. The Bible says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Can I tell you something a little bit about my ancestry? I have a resident alien card. <laughs> so here in the United States of America, I am an alien. But I want to tell you Americans, if you ever come to Australia, you'll be aliens too. But I want to make something very, very plain to you. Nationalism is not a part of God's plan. Can I tell you folks something? I don't see myself particularly as an Australian. I see myself as a child of God. And I want to tell you folks something, and I thank God for it. When I look at people today and when I look at my church members, I don't look at them through racist spectacles. I don't say, is he black? Is he white? If we're looking for a new team member on the Carter Report team, we don't say, well, we've got a quota system we've got to fill. Can I tell you something? The quota system is politically correct and damnable because it is racist. It says we are going to pick people not because of their abilities as Martin Luther King appealed for. It says we're going to pick people because of their racism. And if they can pick people for their racism, they can exclude people for their racism and you're back before Martin Luther King. So, I don't put a lot of stress at all upon the fact that I'm an Australian, or you're an American, or Norm is a Canadian. I like to think that by the grace of God, we have been born again into the kingdom of God. 
Verse 13, Hebrews 11:13. all these people who are still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. And uh, verse, let's read on, 15. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I want to tell every American sitting here in this church, you also are an alien. We are aliens in this world. This world, my friend, is not our home. We are looking forward to a better kingdom, the kingdom of God. Amen. Have you heard people say, my country, right or wrong? Oh, it sends a chill through me. That's what the Nazis said when they burned the Jews. My country, right or wrong? I say, my friend, we must be faithful first and foremost to the kingdom of God. While we are loyal citizens of, king, of, the, of the nations of this earth below, we must recognize that we are aliens here and our citizenship is in heaven. And the Bible says that these people, if they had been mindful of their roots, if they had been obsessed with their ancestry, they may have had opportunity to return. But the Bible said they did not look back and they did not become obsessed with their background. They looked forward to the kingdom of God and they went ahead in faith. And that ought to be the attitude of every Christian. Is my faith, is my fate, fate and my faith determined by my race. Some would say yes. There have been nations that have said this. Have you heard me? There are nations that have said this. If you are born into a certain group of people, and we need not mention them, they say you can never succeed. You can never be what you want to be. You can never be even what God wants you to be because they'll never allow you to rise up to your potential. I say that is a lie. It is not my race or my accident of birth that determines my Future and my potential, it is my relationship to God. Whether I am a son of Ham, a black man, whether I am a Semite, a Jew, or whether I am a European who comes from Japheth, it is not the accident of birth. It is not my concentration on my roots. It is my trust in God that determines where I'm going to go. And I can prove it to you. Come over with me now to the book of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14. And let us lay this heresy to rest. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14. 
Galatians 3 verse 14, Paul says, and I wish that every person would read these texts in his own Bible. That's important. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse 14, Galatians 3, he redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That's to Japheth and that's to Ham. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now verse 26 and onwards, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Listen, let me give you some solid New Testament biblical theology. If you are a child of God, it doesn't matter what your racial background is, whether you are of the tribe of Japheth, as I am according to the flesh, whether you are of the tribe of Ham, as some of you are according to the flesh, whether you are of the tribe of Shem, as some of you are, it makes no difference where you come from. The only thing that will determine your destiny is your relationship to Christ. Christ, Christ. The Bible tells me when you come to Christ, you now belong to a new tribe, the tribe of Jesus Christ. We are not born naturally into the tribe of Christ, but we are born again into the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus said you've got to be born again. And when you're a child of God, no longer do you worship according to your blackness or your whiteness. And that is why I'm going to say something which is utterly political, politically incorrect. This is the most politically incorrect statement I've ever made. This is the Irishman speaking. I believe it is wrong for churches by choice when they can understand the language of their nation. Why churches and people choose to meet together according to the color of their skin. Oh, I'm in the minority now, even with my own denomination. How can you tell me that you believe these texts when we've got churches that are isolated according to their colors and their ministers have their own caucuses? Well, you say, but that is an awful thing to say. Yes, it's the truth, isn't it? It's the truth. And one of our biggest problems today in the church is our inability to tell the truth. We are afraid to tell the truth. Oh, because you may upset a certain group. That group may need to be upset. I'm glad that I have a church. It sounds a bit like ham coming through. <laughs> I'm glad that I have a church that as the Reverend Jesse Jackson would call it, a rainbow coalition. Amen. 
Once upon a time I had a lily white church in Australia, a distinguished church, an affluent church, and about the deadest church I've ever pastored. We have a church here that is made up of every kindred, nation. If I'd only known it years ago, I would not have needed to go around the world. I wouldn't have only needed to come to Los Angeles and to come to this church. I believe it is the will of God that Christians worship together with all their different colors. And if you can't get on with a black man, and if a black man, man can't get along with a white man, and if the Hispanic man has to worship by himself, and if the Filipinos have to worship by themselves, what's going to happen when you get to heaven, if you do? If you do. Is this too strong? Well, don't encourage me. We are not born into the race of God. We are reborn. And when you are reborn into the kingdom of God, then you can sing in the words of the great Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Mm -hmm. We're doing all right today, folks, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Some of our black folks here say, preach on, brother. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you folks have been living in this white community so long, you've lost it all. Just get going a little. Genesis 11, verse 1 and 9 onwards. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. We understand it was English, but we don't have any clear text to prove it. And now it was a Semitic language, we think, like Hebrew. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, Mesopotamia, and settled there. And then they got into all sorts of trouble. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Listen, my friend. In this part of the world, you have the ziggurats. I've been to the great ziggurat in Ur of the Chaldees. They were building a ziggurat, and they built it for one purpose, to show how good they were, to show how powerful they were, and to make a name for themselves. If you want to make a name for yourself, my friend, be very, very careful, because these men brought damnation upon themselves. Don't try to make a name for yourself. Make a name for God. Shelley, in the poem, Ozymandias, listen. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and Trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip 
and sneer of cold command. Tell that a sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive. Stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty in despair. Nothing beside remains round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. The Beatles said, we are more popular than Jesus. Men have set out to tear the heart out of glory. Where are they? The Babel builders are gone. They are gone. He who builds upon self instead of upon Christ is building upon sinking sand. So here you have the dispersion of the nations. And then verses 10 and onwards you have the story of the children who preceded Abraham. You have the steady decline in longevity as well. These verses do not teach evolution, which is progress, but they teach the degeneracy, the degeneration of the human race. And all of these characters set the stage for the appearance of God's man of destiny, Abraham. Verse 27, please. And you can read those other verses that talk about his ancestors. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldees, in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcar. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcar and Iskar. Now Sarah was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Listen to me, please. Were these real people? Was there an Abraham? Were they real people? I have visited Ur of the Chaldees, climbed down on the death pits. I've looked at the jewelry, the exquisite jewelry. I've seen the mummies. I've seen the word Abraham written on the wall of one of the streets. We don't say it's the same one. There was a real Abraham, though. There was a real Ur, and the call of God came to Abraham and his family, and God said, leave this pagan city. Leave the temple of the moon goddess and go out into a place, and I'm not even going to tell you much about this place, but Abraham believed God, and he went out. On my desk, I have this little statement. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. 
The will of God led this man out of a city of prosperity into an insecure situation. But God finally took him to the promised land. Martin Luther King said, I've climbed the mountaintop and I have seen the promised land. My message to you is this, I have climbed the mountaintop and I have seen the promised land. God is calling his people out of every nationality to the promised land to be citizens, not of America, first and foremost. Not to be citizens of Australia, first and foremost. Not to be black men or white men or Hispanic men, but to be citizens of the kingdom of God. Amen and amen. Please bow your heads. Teach us, our Father, today to understand our precious heritage. Our great heritage is not our background. It is the kingdom of God. Help us to take our eyes in this country of race and to stop talking race and thinking race, but to think of Christ in the kingdom of God. We thank you that it doesn't matter the color of our skin, but it does matter the color of our hearts. It does matter whether we are in Christ or not, because we can be in every organization. But unless we're in Christ, we are really with the Babel builders. We thank you today that if we're in Christ, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no American, there's no Australian, there's no Russian, there's no sectarianism, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. We choose today Christ and the kingdom of God. Help us not to build our own little temple towers which will perish with Ozymandias, but help us to lay self aside and to build the kingdom of God and with Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees and to go forth to the promised land. For Jesus' sake. Amen and amen.